Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. RUF, guys, on the eve of spring break, basically. Who knows when we're going to be back here, right? We'll be back, right? This isn't the last large group of the year. I hope not. Uh, Yeah, well, it's great. Thank you for coming. Uh, Really good to be with you guys tonight. Um, RUF is a Christian community, uh, which means uh, two things. It means, first of all, that we're centered on uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, what it also means is that, uh, so while we're firmly centered on Jesus Christ, Jesus uh, was one who went out and brought people in. And so we want to be a community that brings all kinds of people in. And it's our hope that uh, if you are a Christian, this is a place where you would grow in your faith and be challenged in your faith and a place, a community in which you could serve. And if you're not a Christian, Uh, Our hope is that this would be a place where you could uh, see what the Christian faith is all about, uh, examine the claims of Jesus and uh, scripture itself. And uh, so uh, that's our hope for this group and that we might be a community uh, where we can know each other, where we can support each other and love each other. So uh, part of that, the reason we, uh, well, the way we believe that we can love is if we go to God's word, the scriptures and uh, find out more about him. And so we're going through this series in the book of Ephesians this semester, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which, was in, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey, uh, a church that he started, and then he, where uh, uh, later he was imprisoned, and he's writing them this letter. And he's writing them this letter to uh, encourage them, but mainly to show them, to answer the question, what is God doing? in our world with us and uh, we're calling this series grace changes everything because in the book of ephesians he starts off paul just starts talking about god's grace how the way that god saves is by grace alone Uh, god takes people that are enemies of of him and brings them into his community into his kingdom and changes them and transforms them by his grace and so for three chapters paul was just going on and on about how good God is and how gracious and full of love, although he is holy. And now, in the second part that we're in now, he's unpacking the implications of grace. Okay, If, if God has brought in sinners, uh, has saved them by grace, uh, what does it mean? If Jesus died uh, so that we could be brought in, what does that mean for us? And so uh, that's what we're going to read more of tonight. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Uh, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray for us again. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we need you to help us not only make sense of it, but uh, we need you to have it sink into our hearts so that we might be different. So we pray that you'd be at work in those ways and uh, that you'd show us your truth and that your truth would set us free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you were here a few weeks ago, several, like kind of near the beginning of the semester, you might remember that uh, I talked about the idea of putting on being a dad and how like there was this time when I found out that I was going to be a dad a positive pregnancy test. And I was like, I'm a dad now. And then uh, subsequently all these different stages of pregnancy and then like birth and the life of a child and now two children came about. And uh, more and more, I, I came to, like I knew I was a dad all along, but I came to know it more and more when, for instance, like it was five in the morning on a Saturday and I woke up and I was like, oh yeah, I'm a dad because my kids are waking me up. And I should play with them because I'm their dad. Um, but what we, what we thought about a little bit, and what I want to think about tonight in that example, is that it's possible, possible to be something without having fully put it on. Like you can be technically a father and not actually put it on and be a father. And there's a lot, you could be a student, like you could be enrolled at UConn and not go to class, right? Like, you haven't put on being a student, even though, like, if technically you would say, like, yes, I'm a student, I'm enrolled. Okay, Paul has been teaching these Christians in Ephesus about their new status as God's people, uh, rooted in grace. They didn't do anything for God to love them. God just loved them, just saved them by grace. And now he's teaching them that their new status means something about how they should live in God's world. And as Christians, uh, God has made us different, and so we must behave differently, but it's not like flipping a switch. Because the old life can be difficult to shake, right? Uh, you, know, if you, you know, if you overnight became something different, there might be a lot of things that kind of stayed the same for a while while you became who you now are. Uh, and in the, in what, one thing we've been talking about over and over again is how in uh, the gospel, in the Bible, being always precedes doing. And another way to think about it is these instructions don't work without the foundation of the gospel, without the foundation of a God who is holy, but is also a lover 
and comes in pursuit of those who are lost to save them. And so I want to look at tonight uh, three things in this passage. I want to look at the old self that Paul talks about and then the new self. And then as we think about uh, kind of what we're thinking about is how do we put on the new self? So the old self, the new self, and how do we put on the new self? And so uh, he starts out by talking about the old self. And he says uh, that the lives of those who do not know God are marked by what he calls futility. It's a word that means pointlessness. Uh, In verse 18, it says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, what that means is that intellect, like the intellectual struggles we have with Christianity aren't about God being hidden. They're about the hardness of the human heart. In other words, if you're struggling to believe in the God of the Bible, and we all struggle with this, it's not because he's hiding himself. It's not because he's at all hidden from us. It's because deep down, we don't like him. We don't like him because he can tell us how to live sometimes. Uh, He can ask whatever he wants from us if he is who he says he is, if he's God, if he's the king. And there's, you know, we naturally just don't really like that. And so the point that Paul is making is that because we tend not to like God, uh, we tend to live as if there is no God, or we tend to keep him at a distance. And that creates a giant problem if, if there is a God, though. Okay? Because if there is, then we're not living in reality. And life becomes pointless. Uh, some of you, I think a lot of you have played Puno with us, the wonderful game that is kind of like a Yukon RUF staple, this version of Uno that's like crazy and weird and the funny thing about when we play Puno, Puno is a really fast game. There's all these like obscure rules. And a lot of times when we play that game, like someone who hasn't played will walk up and be like, what the heck is this? Or imagine like if you sat down and tried to just like play along. If you were like, oh, Uno, I've, I've, I'll play this. Then you sat down and the mayhem of what Puno is ensued. Uh, you would be like, this is pointless you'd be like i don't i don't i don't know what the point of the game is i don't know what the rules are and what paul is saying is that's essentially uh what life here apart from god is uh so if you're struggling with questions like is christianity reasonable first of all i love to talk about that kind of thing so please come let's talk about it let's get coffee let's get lunch let's talk about it um I can show you that it's reasonable, but what you need to see is that our own hearts create the barrier to belief. So a good, if you struggle to believe, a good question to ask might be something like, what don't you like about this God? Uh, but the result of futility, is an out of, Paul says, is an out-of-control Life, uh, something he calls sensuality. Sensuality means do it, do what feels good. Uh, so that's the result of the futility. You know, if life has no meaning, if you're not sure of the purpose, you might as well do what feels good. And it's described elsewhere here as greedy for impurity, and it depicts this downward spiral. And what I want you to see is that it's really like the language of addiction almost. Um, Paul is saying that in the futility of the 
Gentiles' minds, these are unbelievers, uh, something like sexuality has become more than just a desire. Uh, sexuality has become something that owns them. Um, can we not acknowledge that we resonate with what Paul is saying here, that some of it is true, that we know what it's like, for instance, to have out-of-control passions as we live in a world saturated with things like pornography and sex and uh, addictions of various kinds? Like, can we not acknowledge that like what Paul is saying here uh, it resonates today with us? Uh, or what it, maybe that we've had a line that we said we would never cross and then we crossed it? And remember, Paul's writing to Christians. He's not writing to like people out there. He's writing to the church. Because he knows they feel the, feel the pull. He knows that we feel the pull. And even if we're new people, so in the gospel we've been transformed and made new people in Jesus Christ, but the vestiges of the old life are hard to shake. I've mentioned before, I have a good friend who's adopted uh, three kids now. And uh, his first two children he adopted from Uganda. And the second, uh, the last child he adopted, him and his wife, is from China. And I can remember when they adopted their first son from Uganda, who was born in a taxi cab in Uganda, into poverty, was put into an orphanage until they were, he was adopted by this lovely couple, uh, these friends of mine. And... Uh, it was a great story, and then I can remember following up with them later and saying, like, how's it going? And one of the things they mentioned was that their son, who is now, I think, like preschool or kindergarten age, uh, they had found that he was stealing kids' food and hoarding it in his cubby. And why would he do that? Because that's what he did to survive for, like, a couple of years in his old life, Right? And the, the vestiges of the old life are hard to shake. They get ingrained in you pretty deep, even if you have a new life, even if your status changes entirely. Okay, struggling to believe and struggling with sin, then, doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But it does mean that on some level you're not putting on who you really are. That makes sense? So... Uh, I wonder for you, what aspects of the new life, or what aspects of the old life do you struggle to put off? What are the aspects of the old life that you're struggling to shake? You know, maybe it's something just like control of your life. You know, um, this God is in control now, and it's hard to uh, just let God be in control. Maybe it's something else. Uh, but that's the old self. And now I want to talk about the new self. So in verse 20, uh, Paul says, Paul talks about, he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. And I want you to think about this idea of learning Christ. Because he doesn't say you didn't learn about Christ. He says learning Christ. And the Christian life is marked by learning him. Uh, by putting on the new self. Uh, in other words, the downward spiral of sin can be broken by learning Christ or experiencing him. Uh, in other words, having the truth of him sink to our core. Uh, and so and when that happens, Jesus starts to imprint himself on everything that we do. And at the root of this is an identity change. Okay? There is a new self. Like you, if you're a Christian, that means you are 
new. Uh, so for those of us that feel bogged down by guilt and shame and just this downward spiral of sin and brokenness and heartache, the gospel provides nothing less than a new personal history, a substitute. Uh, something else now defines you. Jesus defines you now. Uh, your sexual history does not define you now. Your major or your grades do not define you. Uh, your family situation does not define you. Whether or not you're popular does not define you. Whether or not you know a lot about the Bible and God or don't know that much, it doesn't define you. Because those that put their faith in Jesus become new. The old self is put to death as Jesus is nailed to the cross. And the new self comes to life as Jesus rises from the dead. Uh, so what that, 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 in that transaction, Jesus' standing with God becomes our standing, which is why God can smile at us, which is why God can delight in us in spite of all the things we do that are contrary to him. And then Paul uh, describes what, it what the new life looks like. And I want us to just think about these because I think they're really pertinent to our lives today. Uh, he says, first of all, the new life looks like falsehood being replaced by truth. Uh, he first focuses in on the things we say to each other. And uh, this is really important because the reason that we often don't have the kind of relationships and fellowship that we want, a close connection and intimacy with people, is because we're often lying to each other. If we're not lying to each other overtly, then at least we're not telling the whole truth about ourselves. Because you know, what, you know, what if people find out about What if they reject me? What if they turn away? And in, in the gospel, because I'm defined by Jesus, I can tell the truth. I'm not dependent on what people think of me anymore. Uh, he, say, he goes on to say that anger is replaced by self-control. And uh, he says, be angry and do not sin, which is a, a way of saying anger is not necessarily sin. But he's saying in the new life, you become angry about the right things. You don't become angry about the person who like, made fun of you, or you don't become angry about the, the, the critique you got in class, or you know, things like that. But you get angry because of the right things, like evil in the world, and the way things are messed up. Uh, but he said, but in the new life, anger doesn't take root. It doesn't define you. Uh, he goes on to say, another element of the new life is that theft is replaced by generosity. So students don't steal, um, but have it be replaced by generosity. Uh, this is a big one for us. Can you give stuff away? Can you give your time away? In the new life, we become givers. We become people who are uh, ready to give away. And then he says that corrupting talk, goes into more about talking, he says corrupting talk is now replaced by blessing talk. It's another big one. Do we ever bless people? Like when, when was the last time you stopped and just thought like, you know what? I have this friend. I really like them. I'm going to tell them. Or this person really made my day the other day. I'm going to let them know that what they did made my day. 
or I'm going to say, hey, I like this thing about you. I'm going to just text you to let you know. Uh, Because in the new life, we cease to be the center, and we can actually start thinking about the people around us and how we might extend the blessing of God to others. And by the way, sarcasm is the opposite of blessing talk. Uh, Sarcasm, I struggle with sarcasm a lot. And uh, it's just the opposite of blessing talk. And it's really rooted in cynicism. And yet it's everywhere. Um, So that's another way the new life, uh, another characteristic of the new life. And the final characteristic is that animosity is replaced by kindness. Uh, He talks about bitterness. He says, uh, let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Uh, Bitterness, think about like a bitter taste. Everybody knows what a bitter taste is. In your mouth is like and what Paul is saying here is that like bitterness can pierce to your soul too like what that taste in your mouth can actually be in your soul and mess up the way you treat everyone but in the new life it can be replaced by tender-heartedness because we've experienced the blessing of Christ Because when we were his enemies, he loved us. And so the bitterness goes away. So that's the new self. Now, how do we put it on? Like this is a like what we just what I just kind of listed out, that like that's a hard way to live. And we can't how could we possibly be capable of a new life like that? I want you to think back about my friend's adopted son from Uganda. He's like in high school now. Amazing kid. Thriving. How do you think it happened? You think his parents were just like, hey, stop hoarding food. Don't do that. They probably took him into their... They are very wealthy, by the way. So they probably like took him into the pantry and showed him all the food, right? Or took him to the store and said, hey, buy anything you want on us. And that would change him, wouldn't it? Because they showed him the new reality, the new transformative reality, this reality that changes everything about your situation. And for Christians, we live in a new transformative reality, which is mentioned in verse uh, 32 at the end there. Christ forgave you. The reason we all turn away from God, the reason we all struggle with sin is because we believe we're still guilty. We believe that God frowns at us instead of smiles. And so the new transformative reality for you is the cross. The cross where Christ forgave you. So look again and again and again at the cross. You can be new by drawing on the joy that comes from looking at the cross where Christ forgave even you. Even though he knows all about the downward spiral that we all find ourselves in. Even though though he knows about all the mixed motives in our hearts. Even though he knows how we don't like him. Jesus looks upon people like us and says, I'll substitute for them. I'll die for them. 
so that they can be new. You see how the Christian life can only be motivated by love and joy and the mercy and the peace that comes from the cross? Uh, if you want to put on this new self, you need to look again and again at the cross. Because if you use, let's say, you use bitterness or guilt to motivate you, you'll fail every time. If God is mean and a tyrant, of course you'll run away. But if he's a God who loves, then you'll delight to obey him. So I ask you, do you know that although God is holy, he is also a lover? Do you know that he came to earth for no other reason than to pursue us? If we internalize that, our hearts will soften. Bitterness will be diluted by joy. And it happens really in community. The reason RUF exists is because we believe it happens in community as we come to the word together, as we live life together in this good news, pushing each other toward the good news, reminding each other of who we actually are. It's communal. And if it does take root, you'll be able to be honest with people. You'll be able to share your stuff. You'll be able to control your anger. You'll be able to love and serve people. Uh, you'll be different. Uh, there's a, one of the most famous Christians of all time is St. Augustine, uh, who uh, lived just, what, like 1,700 or so years ago. And uh, St. Augustine was wild. He was a wild child and uh, got around with many, many women before he became a Christian and his life was totally transformed. And there's a story that he tells in his confessions where he talks about this stuff. And it, he talks about passing by one of his former lady friends, like in a city like Milan or something like that. And, uh, and, and he nods at her and she goes, Augustine, it's me. He goes, yeah, but it is not me. Not anymore. That's the new life. Uh, if you think you've been transformed, if you are a Christian, but you're struggling, remember that you're new. When did you forget that you're new? When did you forget that the king loves sinners? Uh, if you've never, if you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ, I just want to ask you, aren't you a little tired? Does a new self sound good to you? Would you like to be freed from what feels often like a downward spiral? That's exactly what the gospel offers. That's what Jesus offers. It can, it can be had for free as we rest in faith in Jesus. Uh, Let's pray that we might be able to do that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, need your grace to rest in, in Christ, uh, to have his life count for ours uh, so that we might become the people we were meant to be. Uh, give us patience with one another. Help us to be kind to one another and to the world around us. Uh, help us to be generous with our things not because that will make you any more happy with us or 
we'll be blessed more or anything like that, but just uh, because we've been made new and that's how new people act. It's the good life. We pray that you'd give us power for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.